My guest today is the legendary recording artist, Melissa Manchester. Now, her 50-year career is not only remarkable for its longevity and accomplishments, but for its versatility. Now, following her stint as a founding member of Bette Midler's Harlots, Melissa's tremendously successful solo career brought her critical and commercial acclaim, garnering her 19 Billboard-charted hits. Now, she's known for Midnight Blue, but she received her first Grammy nomination for Best Pop Female Vocal Performance in 1979 for the Peter Allen, Carol Bayer-Sager penned Don't Cry Out Loud. But she went on to win the Grammy in that category four years later for the disco hit, You Should Hear How She Talks About You. And Melissa has had her songs recorded by Barbara Streisand, Roberta Flack, Alison Krauss, and Kenny Loggins, and so many others. But in 1980, she made history by being the first artist ever to have two Academy Award-nominated songs in a single year, Through the Eyes of Love from Ice Castles and I'll Never Say Goodbye from The Promise, and she was the first to perform both songs in the same Oscar telecast. And her charge in the film continued with music for several other films, including The Great Mouse Detective and Lady in the Tramp 2, even Dirty Girl and Tyler Perry's For Colored Girls. But Melissa embraces her multifaceted five-decade career with the release of her 25th album, Review, a collection of her classic hits, Revisited and Reimagined. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome the incomparable, Grammy-winning, Academy Award-nominated songstress, the wonderful Melissa Manchester, to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. Well, you're very welcome, and I would say very well-deserved. And I'd like to step back in time just a tiny bit here, because you studied acting at the High School of Performing Arts, and then you yep. entered New York University and you enrolled in a songwriting class taught by none other than Paul Simon. But That's when were you first introduced to music? Well, I grew up in a very musical home. Uh, my father was a bassoonist with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. And um, so when we couldn't find a babysitter, he would take me to rehearsals. <laughs> and so, you know, the first music that I was really introduced to was the grandest of all opera. Uh, but we had, my mother was a beautiful singer, but she became a, a pioneer in the fashion industry as a designer and a manufacturer. And my sister and I were raised in a very festive version of normal. Um, and I, I started writing poetry when I was 14 and I became a staff writer at Chapel Music when I was 17 and I was in street theater. The, the thing about New York City at the time, the High School of Performing Arts was the only one of its kind. It was a public school, but there were no, there were no magnet schools at the time. Um, and so uh, it was a blessing to be there. It was amazing to be in New York City at the time um, because there were such creative adventures for a teenager. I mean, you would just sort of trip over them. Well, who were your early musical influences? Well, I mean, the earliest musical influences were mostly classical, were mostly um, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein and Lawrence Hart and George Gershwin. At the time, pop music, uh, the music on the radio considered pop music was still coming from the Broadway stages, you know. And then um, and then in the early 60s, the, the Beatles showed up and changed everything, specifically 
how to write an American pop song. And, um, and then growing up as a teenager where, where the radio was full of Sly and the Family Stone and James Taylor and Joni Mitchell and Stevie Wonder. And I mean, it was just a stunning moment to, to stretch your, your young um, creative muscles. Well, you met both Bette Midler and Barry Manilow on the New York jingle circuit, and I knew Barry wrote some of the most famous advertising jingles that we still yeah. probably sing today. But uh -huh. what? But what did me, meeting both Bette and uh, Barry do for your career? Well, Bette was never a jingle singer. I met Barry at a jingle session, and we sang together. And then he hired me to sing on a demo of his and. We became very fast friends. And then he introduced me to Bette because at the time she was working at a place called the Continental Bathhouse. And up the street, I was working at a club called The Focus. And uh, he came with her one night for her to see me. <clears throat> and um, I finished my set. And then I went over to their table and she had just performed, I think it was the second time on the Carson show. And she was just incredible. And, uh, I, you know, I said, it's so great to meet you. We're all so excited for you because songwriters and young performers, we all sort of ran around in a pack trying to get a deal or a meeting, or whatever. And I said to her, what are you doing? What are you doing next? You know? And she said, well, I'm getting ready for my first Carnegie Hall concert. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Are you going to have any background singers? And she said, well, I don't know. Would you like to sing in back of me? And I, thought to myself, well, actually, I'd like to sing instead of you. But in the meantime, and so Barry and I created the Harlettes um, and Gail Cantor and the late Merle Miller with the original girls. I was the toots in the middle and I worked for her for about six months and we're still friends. Well, did working with her, is that what led you uh, to your recording contract? I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, I had been trying to get a recording contract for seven years. And I guess being the toots in the middle of the harlots didn't hurt. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was it was it was really wild. It was a wild time. It's beautiful. Now you are celebrating your 50 year career with your new yeah. album review. Uh, mm -hmm. Your voice to me, I had a chance to preview all of the songs. Yeah. Your voice has not changed at all. I mean, to me, they're still timeless. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Yeah, it was it, it was really interesting to put this together. We started recording a lot of the album long before the pandemic down at Citrus College, which is a, a wonderful community college where I've been artist in residence for a long time. Their music department and their studio is just spectacular. And um, so we had recorded a lot and then the pandemic uh, started and, you know, everything shut down for a while. And then my manager said to me, you know, we were going to put this out a, a couple of years back, but why don't we use it to celebrate your 50th year? And I thought, well, that's that's a really lovely idea. And it's made up of several charted hits. And the thing that happens when you're doing a song over so many decades is you start to hear different interpretations. You start to hear slightly different harmonics. And like on the stage, every song just ends. There are no fades. Uh, I really wanted the listener to be on the journey with me. And when it was done, if they're sitting quietly in their living room and feel like applauding, they can. 
Well, how did you go about selecting which songs to include on this album? Because to me, you could have gone with a double album. Yes, yes I could have. Yes, I could have. Um, I, uh, a lot of it was, um, a lot of it were, were fan favorites and requests. And there's one song that had been recorded by Diana Ross uh, that I've never recorded called Confide in Me. And um, I wrote that with Stan Schwartz a long time ago. I don't know. I just, I just, um, these felt like a good fit and of course to have the incredible guest artists that are on there is just stunning you know to sing whenever i call you friend that i wrote with my friend kenny loggins and finally getting around to my interpretation of the song with our wonderful friend dave cause playing the sax solo and then of course midnight blue with dolly parton is just unbelievable uh, I had actually sent her, whenever I call you friend, I sent her the track and I asked her if she would consider singing it because I thought two women singing this will be very interesting. And she said, I love this track, but it's just too hard for me to sing. What else do you have? Because I'd love to be part of your project. And I thought, what else would be an interesting duet? And then I thought, Midnight Blue between two friends, because conventional wisdom is it's a girl and a guy and they're having a snag in the relationship, blah, blah, blah. But two two women friends who are helping each other through something. It was, and so I sent her the track. She puts her vocal on. It is so gorgeous. It's the way she sounds, the tenderness of her voice is just, it's sublime. So I went back into the studio and I re-recorded my vocal performance to match hers. Wow. And you know, when I was listening to that song on, on this brand new album, I was like, wow, because both of you are legends in the music business and to come together on Midnight Blue, uh, it, it works so well together. And it's, it's almost like you could have released this song as a brand new song with Dolly. And, exactly and, right. Exactly and, right. And that's what I loved about it. And what I did was because I, I was blessed with the fact to preview all the songs on the album. I listened to review. Then I went back to listen to the original tracks. Yes, and, of course. And it was funny because when I was listening to uh, When I Call You Friend, with when you, you duet with uh, Kenny Loggins, I went back to the original and the first thing that hit me was, the intro is completely different. And you just said that you always imagine this song in a particular way. Uh, what was it like recording it your way? Well, the thing was, um, you know, I had tried to get Kenny on board over the years and it just wasn't the right timing. And then when I, when I started to put together these, these, these production thoughts, the arrangement thoughts for review, I thought I have to find my own way into whenever I call you friend. Uh, it, it's not about uh, mimicking Kenny's beautiful vocalese that he created as a tribute to Brian Wilson, I believe. Um, and and I was just wondering how to find my way in. And I was walking around my my living room, and one day, probably with my first or second cup of coffee, and I and I heard from the back of my head, whenever, whenever, when. Oh, when, whenever. And then, of course, I had to get it down into the phone recorder right away. And I brought that into my um, my co-producer, Stefan, 
Oberhof, and he couldn't fathom what I was singing to him. And I said, let me just lay it down and just repeat it. And then I'll harmonize and then I'll lay another harmon harmonic on it. And by the time I had all of that stack going, he said, oh, well, okay, now, all right, I get it, you know. And uh, I, I reached out to Kenny, sent him the track and I said, you know, I'm gonna try this one more time. I, I sent it to his manager who was really excited. Then I didn't hear anything from him for two weeks. And so I, I texted him one evening and I said, well, it's been two weeks. Um, just let me know if you don't want to do this and then I'll just move on to, to somebody else. And he said, uh, why don't you send me the track? And I texted him. I said, you've had this for two weeks. He said, I'll get right back to you. And 10 minutes later, he said, I'm in. This is great. And he was he was just heavenly to work with. He was really beautiful. And see, and you did the magic again with mm -hmm. that song because it sounds <clears throat> completely brand new. Yeah. And, and I, even this morning, I went back to listen to it again, just mm -hmm. so I could compare the, the intro of the original. And, and, and I'm like you, you hear it dancing in your head. Yes. At the, at the very onset, which I think was a brilliant move on your part. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I mean, the thing is you want to make, you want to make this moment your own so that you're offering uh, into the world something that is seen through new eyes, hence the title review. Um, you know, it, that's really, that was really an operative word for me. You know, what needs to be changed? What needs to stay the same? Where's the balance in it all? So yeah, it was a lovely journey. Well, when you started this particular project, and you mm -hmm. chose the songs. Mm -hmm. How did you approach them many decades later? I mean, because it's not like you just wanted to recut the same song. You wanted right. to do something a little bit different. Or maybe, you know, I know a lot of artists will sing a particular uh, hit song uh, in, in concert. Uh, they may add a little different flavor because they are singing it live. And eventually that form of the song makes it onto an album, let's say, you know, a decade or, or two later, because mm -hmm. they just love the way that it comes out. What was your approach to every song? Well, what I, what I knew to be true and what I know to be true is that from doing these songs for so long and for regarding them as real gifts, they've become more than songs. They become living monologues. And um, what you don't share with the audience, but you know about the audience, is that they are carrying the other side of the conversation by the way they listen. And when you are singing with a specific intention in mind, you can see them lean in, which means they're performing for you without realizing it. And so I wanted to bring what I had learned about the songs. I mean, many of these songs I had recorded such a long time ago, um, either I'd co-written them or I was gifted them by remarkably talented, beautiful friends uh, like Peter Allen, like Carol Sager, like Marvin Hamlish, like Al Allen and Marilyn Bergman. Um, you can't deny how life is informing how you now invest in the performance of the song. And I think that gives a nuanced flavor so that 
for those of you who have been listening to me in those songs for so many years or to new listeners, there's, um, I think, an enhanced value now that I deeply feel what these songs are about. I mean, the songs that I wrote, you know, when I was 24, I look back and I thought to myself, how'd that girl know so much, you know, but, but now it all meets in a beautiful, more, more beautifully aged and nuanced way. And, you know, you can't know that when you first record a song, you know, I, I've heard, there are so many artists, uh, you know, where you go to a, a concert and that you'll hear them say, which just blows my mind. I'm so bored of singing this song, but I know you want to hear it. Really? I consider every song a gift. I never get bored singing these songs. It's really lovely. Well, did you ever feel that some of your songs, maybe when you first sang them, you're like, I may not be old enough to sing a song like this, but then you grew into it as the years go by. And do those type of songs have a newer meaning now? Well, you grow into all of the songs. That's that's my point. You do. You grow into the, you grow into this inner world because you're bringing your life experience, which can't be denied. And then this song, which is your vehicle, sort of expands. Um, in, in what it's helping you to express and to share. And of course, the the ultimate gift is, is what you get back from the listener, that unexpected, you know, how a song clarified something or helped somebody not commit suicide or serenaded somebody down a wedding aisle or helped a couple decide to make a baby or gotten somebody through a really hard time uh, or a war, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's such a blessing and uh, it's, it's truly humbling. And so all of that stuff um, deepens, deepens your experience of the song for sure. I love the fact that you actually are one of the few that realizes that the songs that you've sung for years are just these little threads in millions of people's lives. Yes. Well, the thing is, as a songwriter, you are literally creating a world that did not exist until you created it. True uh, as well with, with a new song by, you know, by a friend who sends it to you. And, and the power of that, new world for the listener to to see their life through new lenses if just for 30 minutes for three minutes sorry and and to help them clarify or elevate or you know amuse or entertain is uh it's real magic i mean it's a spiritual gift for sure but it is true magic and um it's beautiful it is now your song and probably my favorite one favorite one on the new album uh, you should hear how she talks about you, which was written by Dean Pitchford and Tom Snow. I yes. love that song. How did you come across that song back in 1982? Well, I mean, in 1982, I was really known as a balladeer. And so it was interesting, to say the least, that my two dear friends, Dean and Tom, presented, I guess it was an A&R guy at, at Arista Records, 
with this song and you know context being everything 1982 disco was in full swing which was really changing the sound of records and the sound of a singer's position in the recording um the thing is because because I, I love ballads and, and that's mostly what I do, um, I have to really find something worth holding on to in order to justify me singing a song that's really percussive dri driven. And, you know, You Should Hear was such a smart song and so cheeky and so well constructed. And to have my late beloved producer, Arif Mardin, produce this all the way to a Grammy was just... Um, you know, it was just a, a wonderful leap of faith. And for a while, you know, since I was so unused to this kind of a song, I thought to myself, how am I going to grow old singing this? How am I going to do that? I mean, honestly, so, and and I got very uh, terribly serious about it all. And I start to find different arrangements to present on stage, which were fine and interesting, but weird. And then I stopped for a while. And then I thought to myself, you are looking a gift horse in the mouth and saying, no, bring it back. And so now what's very lovely and jolly about it is the audience gets hysterical because I'm showing old videos of me doing it. And I'm hysterical and I barely get through the song. And we have a, a very fine time. Well, you know, a lot of people that, you know, when they hear your name, mm -hmm. it's either going to be Midnight Blue or Don't Cry Out Loud. Now, when I hear your name, I think of Don't Cry Out Loud. Mm -hmm. But what song do you feel is, I guess, your legacy song? Oh, I don't know. Uh, that, that's a that's a lovely question. Um, you know, I have a tenderness for Midnight Blue because it was the first hit. And we worked so hard to do the radio tours and the college radio tours and the secondary markets all over the nation to get it up. The, the to get it just played and in those days again context being everything midnight blue came out right before radio stations across the nation went to programming it was still up to the djs to to select and it was up to the listeners to call in and say i want to hear this more and um and it was still a very melodically driven song uh, and so I have a particular tenderness for that. But honestly, I don't know, probably one of my lesser known songs, uh, maybe, maybe coming from the rain, maybe, maybe, you know, just, just because I, you know, music is so um, mysterious. And, and it's this, it can be an, an instant safe place for people to breathe and let down their guard Sometimes it helps them remember things they didn't realize they had forgotten. And so tears of relief come down the cheeks, you know, when they listen to a song. Um, I've seen it over and over again. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's such a blessing to be a messenger of that kind of energy. It's unusual. Well, over the last 50 years, you know, we both know that the music industry has changed a lot. Uh, yes. Did any of those changes have any influence on your work or the approach to this album? Uh, well, the approach to the, I am now in the, um, the golden age of being the independent artist. And um, 
uh, you know, the, the, the conventional wisdom when I started was you sign with a record label and they become the engine and the bank behind your work, which means they can give their opinions as well, which is some kind, sometimes, you know, a little, little difficult, but mostly it's fine. Um, when I was teaching at USC at the Thornton School of Music a couple of years back, again, the marketplace was changing. My students would come in, it was songwriting students. They would come in with their CDs all pressed and looking very nice with credits and photos. And I thought, because I was thinking in an old paradigm, did you just sign with a new record company? There were no new record companies. They said, no, no, we're doing crowdfunding. You should do that. And I said, great, what is that? <laughs> and so my students taught me how to do crowdfunding. So I had crowdfunded a couple of albums. It was very interesting. It was really, I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was so touching because your, your fan base sort of leans in and gently is territorial and say, take your time. You just tell us what you need. It was, it was wild. Well, but I, then that's a lot of love from your fan It's a base. lot of love. It, it, it was very, it was beautiful. I mean, you just, it was a new, it was a shift in how to think of your fan base. I mean, it was literally a village. At one point, I, I had a delay, a release of an album by a month. And I, I just apologized profusely because people were waiting, you know. And they said, no, no, you take your time. You make it right. You get it fully baked the way you want it. Okay. I felt like I was surrounded by aunties and uncles. <laughs> They're so sweet. But well, but now, now with review, you know, it will be, it will be distributed through Green Hill and and it's, you know, I'm with a company again. And once again, I have this engine and it's and a team of people and it's it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Well, I am so glad to hear that. Now, you have a new single on this album, uh, mm -hmm. Just Too Many People from yes. this. So and it touches on the theme of human connection in yes. a digitally connected world. So what sparked you to explore that idea? Well, I mean, I wrote it a long time ago with Vinnie Poncia and um, it, it came out as the second single, I think after Midnight Blue. And um, some radio stations would not play it because they thought it was an anti-family message. It was ridiculous. And, um, and it was, um, you know, it was about relationships and all of that. But in this moment, to re-record it and to have this, really, we've never been through these kind of times before with social media connecting us all, and yet there's epidemic loneliness and epidemic isolation. I mean, it's being written about all the time. And I thought, you know, the only thing that will be an enduring solution, like forever, is human connection. And so this song now it has this new wrinkle, uh, this new nuance in it. And it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I found that in certain of these songs, another song that we recorded is Just You and I, which I had written many years ago with Carol Sager. And when we wrote about it, it was that the burgeoning of the women's movement, you know, we were young women, we were in young marriages, we were trying to find some kind of connection and when I re-recorded it, it was it became my tribute to all the essential workers that were helping us go through the pandemic. I mean, honestly, context is everything. It just changes the shape and the interior world of a song. It's it's wild. 
Well, in your experience, how has the role of women uh, in music evolved? Well, when I started, there were there were no women truckers, there were no women stagehands, there were no women dressers, there were no women in the boardrooms of the record companies, and now now um, there's much more presence. Um, Gosh, I remember writing a song with the great Bernie Taupin. It was called For the Working Girl. And it was about, it was three, each verse was a little vignette about a different woman working in some job. And and I had just come from a, a concert that I was doing and I was with my band and we were at a truck stop and it was about two in the morning. And this woman came over to me and she said, are you Melissa? I said, yeah. She said, I'm a trucker. Thank you for writing For the Working Girl. For, for me because nobody acknowledges us. And she gave me a hug and then went off into the night. And it was, I mean, that part has progressed. You know, women are more present and women are feeling more empowered. And that's important. We well, hold up half the sky after after all. Yes. And, you know, I do, I do many, many interviews uh, with film directors. Uh-huh. And... The thing that really excites me is seeing the growth of female film directors yep. because they're still fighting for their place. Yep. And it's great to see that in every creative genre that women are, you know, they're, they're getting, they're at the top of the ladder and they, yeah. their work is just as perfect as any man can do. So and earning just as much. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I've got to to ask you, Melissa, out of your five decade career, what stands out as the most memorable moment? Uh, That is a valid question, but I got to tell you, the moment I'm having right now with this tour of Funny Girl is absolutely outstanding that this showed up to help me celebrate my 50th year is wild. This is a beautiful production. It is the first national tour of the musical Funny Girl in 60 years. And I am playing Rose Bryce. And its audiences are thrilled. We have just extended this tour by months. It's going to go well into 2025. I saw this originally as a little girl with Barbara Streisand and Kay Medford playing her mother. And that I am now playing... Fanny Bryce's mother is, it's a perfect blessing of a fit. And the company is gorgeous. The production is beautiful. And it's, it's thrilling audiences, which is really lovely. It's thrilling young people, which is so, so touching. Cause it's really, it's really a story about triumph of, of the will. And uh, it's beautiful to be part of it in this, my 50th year. Well, are you going to work in some tour dates on the new album in the midst of Funny Girl? Yes. Yes, for sure I will. Yeah. Um, there, there is enough time off where I can do that too. So your plans for 2024 are basically uh, written in stone now, aren't they? They are. They are. Um, but, you know, I, it this creative journey has been so interesting. Uh, you just never know what's around the bend. I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to raise two kids and to, to have this enduring 
career and have a beautiful family and circle of friends. And it's, it's really, uh, it's really better than the dream. Well, when is, what is the debut date for the brand new album review? Oh, I believe it is. I believe it's, I believe it's later this month, but I'm, I'm not really good with dates. <laughs> so you might want to check on that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you this. You better mark your calendar and or make it super easy. Just head over to melissamanchester.com for the upcoming 25th album of her career. It's yes. called Review. And also check out all of her music and many millions of you are already fans, but check out her videos and her merch and when she does come to your area, what do I always say? You buy the music, you buy the concert ticket, you get the t-shirt, and you go have a great time. And mm -hmm. uh, and that music is in your hands. And so stop downloading for free. That, that's a that's a no-no. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. And, and, and again, uh, Melissa, it has been an absolute, it's been my honor and a pleasure to have you on today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, again, review. It's coming out. Uh, it's only a few more weeks till it debuts. And I've had the honor to hear all of the songs. So it is one of the best albums I've heard in a while. And Melissa's voice is still timeless. And you'll be swaying. And you'll be dancing to this new album. I know I did. That's the reason I have to turn <laughs> it up so loud. And uh, for all of you who have been watching and listening, again, head over to melissamanchester.com. And as for me, I'll see you next time.